Ladies and gentlemen, to those among you who are easily frightened, we suggest you turn away now. To those of you who think they can take it, we say, welcome. Once again, I wake up alone on the wrong side of my bed. Once again, you begin your dancing nakedly on the right side of my head. For a lack of better words that I can hardly speak my soul. And I'm feeling what I'm feeling, what I'm feeling, when it's time to lose control. My love. Richard, happy holidays. Two weeks in a row talking to our faithful listeners. What's up? It's Christmas or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah, whatever. It's the holiday season. Notice I said happy holidays. I don't, must I offend somebody? You did, but we're going to have to say that word Christmas because. We wanted to give something a little extra to our listeners, a a Christmas present, if you will. And we could think of nothing better than the gift of more Classic Horrors Club podcasts. So (laughs) we are going to do a little bonus episode. Guarantee you it'll come in at less than three hours. (laughs) It's kind of short and sweet, something to, to listen to as you're baking cookies or just relaxing after a, a hard day of Christmas shopping or whatever the case may be. And we want to talk about A Christmas Carol, specifically the 1951 adaptation with Alistair Sim, which is almost universally recognized as the, the best and most definitive version. Other people have some favorites and we'll talk about some of the other versions, but I think that if you were to ask a a, a panel of cinephiles, they will say this is the version for them. There's a lot of reasons for it. A great cast. Alistair Sim is is amazing as Ebenezer. Yeah, we're going to kind of throw out some facts and figures. And we know that some good friends of ours have also talked about A Christmas Carol. First of all, I want to say I am probably one of those people that would not have said this is the definitive version. This was actually a first time watch for me. I know Christmas Carol back and forth. It's just something you grow up with and you kind of know the story, but I have never seen this version that I recall. That may give us an interesting slant on this. You, on the other hand, have seen it 1 million times. I also want to say why a Christmas Carol? Well, ghosts. And that's classic horror enough for me that there are ghosts in this. And I think it's perfectly applicable to our podcast. It's a ghost story, which is a Christmas tradition in England. Uh, For many years, they would play Christmas ghost stories on on Christmas Day on the BBC. Probably one of the best-known ghost stories out there. I think even non-horror fans will know of A Christmas Carol. And to answer your question, I apologize for derailing us so soon. But yeah, Chris Franklin and his wife, Cindy, they have the Supermates podcast and the Halloween time House of Frankenstein just did a special episode on, as fate would have it, A Christmas Carol from 1951. We'll have a totally different take on that, not as in-depth, and we certainly recommend that you listen to that 
as well as ours and maybe get an interesting little package. They essentially do a commentary because, I mean, they, they, they're sitting there watching the movie and it definitely gets interesting when they get towards some of the uh, towards the end of the movie because they start reciting the lines which i guess is a tradition in their family the conversation keeps kind of getting sidetracked as as they just start rattling off lines and i gotta say you know a pretty good alistair sim impersonation pops up more than once so highly recommend that episode i listened to it a few days ago and really enjoyed the the conversation on it and as you say we'll put our own spin on it good companion pieces to each other a few facts and figures I'm sure that we'll throw out in this one and food for thought as we always do. Where do we want to start? Lead us off. First off, there's a lot of different versions out there and there were versions before this one, but there were really only two sound versions before this 1951 version. There were some silent versions, most of which are short. They're not complete adaptations. Probably the most complete was a a feature film, I think in 1923 with Seymour Hicks, who had also, if I'm correct, had done some stage work as Scrooge. He did another version in 1935. He did a sound version, and that one is public domain. Back in the days of public domain VHS tapes and early DVDs, it popped up with great regularity, oftentimes with Alistair Sims' picture on the cover of the DVD, I rewatched that actually about a week ago, and it is shorter. It's abbreviated. There are some differences. It's got a limited budget, limited soundtrack. You don't even see Marley's ghost. They didn't have the budget for it, apparently. But it's it's interesting to watch it because there are some subtle differences and things that they do. And that's the fun part, I think, is if you enjoy the story, you're going to start doing some compare and contrast. MGM did their big version three years later in 1938. It is probably my least favorite because it is very MGM, Hollywood, polished, sanitized. Reginald Owen, you know, a lot of people love him as Scrooge. I just have never been able to embrace him. The sad thing is, is that actor Lionel Barrymore was going to play Scrooge. He played Scrooge on the radio for 15 years consecutively on a wide variety of programs. By 1938, he was Scrooge to so many people. And he was an MGM contract player. He was going to play Scrooge, but he hurt his back. And that was the precursor of him eventually being wheelchair bound and becoming the Mr. Potter that we see in It's a Wonderful Life. He could not play Scrooge reluctantly. He was not going to be able to physically do it. So that particular year, he didn't play Scrooge on the radio. He actually was featured in the trailer, fully endorsing Reginald Owen as Scrooge. It's not a horrible version, but it's my least favorite. It's lacking some of the grittiness that you would expect. But, you know, other people might enjoy it. It gets played numerous times throughout the year, every year on Turner Classic Movies. And in fact, it's the only version they're playing this year. That certainly says something. 1951, we'd had a few maybe television productions. I think there's a 49 TV production that has Vincent Price as the narrator. It's a little half hour, 25 minute production that is what it is. It's a cheap television production. But this, 1951, it was, aside from the MGM version, it was the first big budget, big theatrical version 
with a wonderful soundtrack and an amazing cast. you give me more time. Did I ask you for more time to lend you the money? Oh, no, sir. Then why should you ask me for more time to pay it back? Hard and sharp as flint he was. You asked Bob Cratchit about him. This timid and intimidated little clerk is portrayed by Mervyn John, Mrs. Cratchit by Hermione Baddeley. The little lame boy, the great-hearted tiny Tim, is played by Glyn Dearman. Michael Horden gives a spirited portrayal of Jacob Marley, the ghost who changes Scrooge from sinner to saint. <laughs> Co-starring with Alistair Sim in delightful character roles are Jack Warner and Kathleen Harrison. Don't be violent, Mr. Scrooge, so you force me to scream for the beetle. The beetle, madam. <laughs> A thief for the beetle. A guinea? Here, what for? faithful adaptation although there are some key differences that we'll, we'll get into and that's the thing every version of scrooge will play around with one thing or another you can watch 10 different draculas and they're all going to be a little bit different and characters are mixed around with each other it's kind of the same with a christmas carol this version really has stood the test of time simply because it is gritty but not overly so you get that sense of redemption at the end of the movie. It's brighter, it's lighter. Christmas morning, you just get the feeling that that darkness has been lifted. And I think more than any other actor, Alistair Sim is able to convincingly portray the curmudgeon and then the man who has been redeemed, more or less, who has had this second chance of, of life at the end of the movie. He goes from the grumpy old man to convincingly being lighthearted and smiling and being full of joy at the end of the film. You don't always get that in some films. If it is, it's not quite as convincing as this one. I think for me, that's why this movie has always been my favorite version, because I think Alistair Sim is an amazing actor and he does a really good job of, of convincing us that he is a changed man. When you say each of the versions kind of has their own thing they focus on or something that's memorable about it, in this version, would you say it's Alistair Stim? Is that their thing? Or story-wise, is there something that it maybe features or focuses on more than some of the other versions? You know, generally the story is is the same. It's as little extras or the the details. For example, if you watch the 35 version, there is very little about Christmas past. It's, it's a very brief sequence. The ghost of Christmas past is portrayed rather differently in the films. In the 35 version, it's like a, a bright light 1999 version with Patrick Stewart. 
You've got uh, Joel Gray playing the ghost of Christmas past. And then in this one, it's an old man, which I think this is the only time that it, you ever see it really portrayed as an, as an older gentleman, which to me almost makes sense, right? The ghost of Christmas past, kind of like a father time, yeah. older and wiser. And I think that's the way they portrayed it. I'm trying to think of other versions right now off the top of my head. And somebody may call me out if they know. And, and I appreciate it because I'm drawing a blank right now, but I don't think any of the other versions have it as an older man. Ghost of Christmas present is pretty consistent in all the versions. Yeah. And the ghost of Christmas future is also pretty much the angel of death type persona. It's the ghost of Christmas past gets tweaked. How much information they give about the past. I mean, for example, in, in this film, Scrooge's mother died in childbirth. That's what we were told. But usually Fan is younger than Ebenezer. And so, of course, if that's the case, then his mother didn't die in childbirth. So that is usually portrayed a little different. We've got a lot more flashbacks that kind of fill in Scrooge's background in this one, which I think is a plus because we get the flashback of Fan's death, meeting Jacob Marley for the first time, Marley's death. You don't see those in in most other versions. The 35 version really skips over most of the, the past events. So they I really, really like that, by the way, because, you know, you kind of want to know what made him such. Uh, exactly. And I think that and we'll we'll talk about this. The FX version that came out last year added some really darker stuff that I don't feel is necessary, because what we see in this version, you get an idea why Scrooge was kind of leading up to that. He didn't have any abuse or anything done to him in this version. He was abandoned. He was left on his own for quite some time, you know, in that school and his in the feelings of kind of resentment that his father had towards him because the fact that the mother died in childbirth. I think that's an again, it's not present in the original novel, but it's a good adaptation of his or version of his past that I think enhanced this film and gave him maybe even more reason to be kind of who he is. You've got such a great cast with this film. Can we start with Alistair Sim? Because I am not familiar with him. What else has he done? What's his history? He did a movie called The Terror in 1938, which I remember having the alpha video (laughs) DVD. It's a kind of a murder mystery or mystery thriller, if I remember correctly. He was in Alfred Hitchcock's Stage Fright in 1950. Another popular film is called An Inspector Calls from 1954. He had several movies around that time period where he played like police inspectors. The Bells of St. Trinian's. St. Trinian's is like a film series over in the UK. He plays in a couple of those films, different characters, if I remember. He was just very well accomplished over over in England and died in 1976 at the age of 75. A little young, I guess, but not tragically so. Mentioning Alistair Sim. Just talking very quickly here about Jacob Marley was played by Michael Hordern. He was Squire Banks in The Scarecrow of Romney Marsh. He was in Cleopatra, Where Eagles Dare, over 200 film credits. Very well accomplished. These two were so entrenched in that 51 version that they reprised their roles in 1971 for an animated version. The animated version is a classic on, on, on so many levels. It was made for TV and was thought to be so good 
that they actually released it to theaters. That meant that it was eligible for the Academy Award for Best Short Subject, which it won. And because of that, the Academy changed the rules the next year that said, we're not going to do this ever again. They felt that was, if it was a TV special, you can't release it theatrically and be eligible for an award. But it certainly was well worth it. Its animation is based on some of the original illustrations. It's short. It's abbreviated, obviously, at 25 minutes. That was my first version of A Christmas Carol. I have vivid memories of watching it on TV. I believe that it's on YouTube. It's never been given an official DVD release. It came out on VHS, which is how I tracked it down years ago. And the problem is that if you bought the VHS tape, the cover art is nothing like the actual artwork in the special. If you were looking for that 71 animated version, you would have looked right over this and thought this is some cheap animated adaptation. But in fact, I stumbled upon it, honestly. And when I did, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I remember as, as you know, watching as a kid. Hmm. And my second Christmas Carol was this one from 51. I watched this probably in the late 70s. I have memories of watching it as a kid in, in our family room. Can't say that I watched it every year because it, it was a little hard to find, but I have watched this one every year since the Christmas of 1989 when they broadcast the colorized version. And I've seen it every single year since. And it's usually... For many years, it was a Christmas Eve viewing for me after everybody went to sleep and I was up oftentimes putting things together for the kids. I was watching A Christmas Carol, eating some cookies and eggnog and enjoying that movie. And it's that tradition continues today, although I, I share it now with Carla because she loves this version. We watched it last week in anticipation of this recording, and I will watch it twice this year because I'll have to watch it on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. The only version I remember seeing at the the time was the 70s musical version. Was it with Albert Finney? Yes, 1970. Yeah. Uh, I remember I've told many stories about going to the Chief Theater in Enid, Oklahoma and seeing movies. I remember watching that one. Again, I know I've seen I've seen the play many times. Kansas City did it at the yeah. AC rep every year. I'd been to that a few times. So, you know, I know the story. Hard time distinguishing between different versions that I've seen. There's so many film versions. There's the George C. Scott version, which is really good. I think my biggest problem with that one is it's a little hard. The redemption and the, and the you know, isn't quite as visible because George C. Scott's kind of gruff. When he's happy at the end of the movie, it's not a whole lot different than what he is in the rest of the film, but it's still a really good version. I love the Patrick Stewart version, which... Some people enjoy, some people don't. He did that on stage and audio for years before he did it for TNT. I love it. He does this laugh at when he is going through his change. And it's like it's coming from like so far deep inside. It takes a while to get it out. And then he starts laughing. I love that scene. And that's unique to that version. You know, I think it gets played maybe once a year on TNT or TBS. It doesn't get shown very much and is definitely in need of a Blu-ray edition. It's not available on Blu-ray. That's also a, an annual viewing for me. I love that version. You know, there's the Jim Carrey animated version, which is fun. So many other versions, the Muppet Christmas Carol. There's a 77 
British TV production. There's another animated version from 69 and probably a hundred adaptations of her television shows. Henry Winkler did one, you know, Susan Lucci did one. A lot of different versions out there. People will be familiar, I think, with the story of Scrooge, maybe not necessarily this version, but they will certainly know the story of Scrooge from any other number of movies or or television adaptations. Yes, I don't think we need to do a synopsis this time. I would like to talk for a minute about Alistair Sims' performance, and you can tell me what you think. This cumulative memory I have of Christmas Carol and Scrooge, he didn't quite fit that the mold of what was in my memory. And what I mean is, to me, at, at the beginning, he seemed more tired and sad, really, than mean or angry. And he also seemed like scared. I mean, all the locks on his door. And again, maybe it's just something I didn't remember. Maybe it was a nuance. Also, he seemed to have spots earlier than I remembered of that signified his redemption. I mean, very early on, I think even in with Ghost of Christmas Past, he was feeling regret. I kept thinking, oh, he's going to change sooner than the end, which is customarily when you think. What I do like about that is that I believe it's when he meets Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. He says something about changing. He admits, he says, I am too old. I cannot change. Maybe that kind of explains some of those things earlier where I thought he was going to change. Maybe he wants to, and he just thinks, I can't. I'm just too old. You can't teach an old Like He's old and, and, and tired and set in his ways. And he's not as mean in this one as he can come across in some other versions. When you watch the 35 version, Seymour Hicks, just he looks really like an old, mean old man. But that works against him at the end when he has his redemption it's kind of hard to see him as being Mr. Cheerful. There's a scene that, like in the Patrick Stewart version, where he picks up a, a stick to chase away the singers that are singing outside. You don't see that in this version. Had they included that, that would have shown a level of meanness to this version that you don't get. Some people really want to see Scrooge be just downright despicable. and. That's the FX version from last year. A lot of people love it. And I will go there real quick and let's get it out of the way. I, I really despise it. I do. I, and I, I don't use that terminology. It's so devoid of what the spirit of the story is supposed to be about. Guy Pierce plays very mean Scrooge, but they, they do some things that just really take the movie down a dark path. In that version Scrooge is sexually abused by the schoolmaster in a very creepy scene. It's just not necessary. It's not part of the book and not implied in any way, shape, or form in any other version that I'm familiar with. He sexually harasses Mrs. Cratchit, which again is just, it's not in the book and it's not in any other version. It makes Scrooge more despicable. And if that's what your goal is, Then they go this other path where Mrs. Cratchit, it's implied that she may have supernatural powers and may have been responsible for Scrooge being visited by the spirits. That bothered me a lot because that's taking liberties. And what you're doing at that point is they were really wanting to make this dark. 
and add that supernatural element. You have the ghosts, and that's that's about as supernatural as this gets. To imply that Mrs. Cratchit had anything to do with it, to me, is taking this down a, a darker path. And there's no redemption at the end. Scrooge doesn't want to be redeemed. He Apparently, he'll. I'm just going to be nice from now on. That's missing the whole point. Several people have said, so great to see a film that goes back to the horror roots that the story was originally intended. This was not a horror story. This was a ghost story. I want to read something. This is the preface that Charles Dickens wrote in December 1843. This is the preface to the book. I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their houses pleasantly, and no one wish to lay in it. Their faithful friend and servant, Charles Dickens. He wasn't trying to be a horror writer. If you love the FX version, great, but it's not what the story was originally intended to be. I haven't seen it and I don't know, but as you were describing it, it makes sense to me that there is no redemption because how do you depict redemption from sexually assaulting somebody? That's not like uh, making someone work on Christmas. I mean, that's a tough redemption. So at least if they wrote themselves into that corner, they didn't. It seems like the ending maybe followed logically. It follows logically with what's presented in in their version of it. Yeah, I, I agree. But then you're right. Then there's no point because the point of the story to me is the redemption. That's the redemption. That That's the whole point of A Christmas Carol. If you don't have that at the end, then what you've done is you've created a horror story. And that's not what Charles Dickens wanted, again, based on that preface. I'll get off my soapbox there. Anyway, <laughs> there, there's if you love it, great. And there's so many other versions out there that if you don't like one version... You've got 20 more to choose from. One more point on on the fact that Alistair Sim is maybe not as extreme. He accomplishes a lot very subtly. And for example, when uh, his nephew early on invites him to his house, once again, you get the impression he does it every year and Scrooge never comes. This the look he gives is like, are you kidding me? I can't imagine anything worse than going to your house on Christmas. Yes. It's unsaid, but it's just that brief look. So I think he's really effective in those subtle moments. The redemption is enhanced in this one because we see that flashback to Fan's death and her asking Ebenezer to take care of her son. He didn't know. He, he's getting these flashbacks and he's seeing the mistakes that he made. You see this in other versions, but not all of it. And you certainly don't see the flashback of fans' death in in most versions. Enhances, I think, when he gets that redemption at the end. It's like, as you said, he was seeing these things and he was already thinking and, and regretting some decisions he made. And he does come across as, as he's afraid. You're going to be visited by three ghosts. And it's like, well, I don't think I'll do that then. Other versions have that line. But you can see that he's kind of a scaredy cat. He doesn't want to see the ghosts. And I think that's what kind of makes it fun is that he's literally scared of these spirits and truly does regret the decisions that he made. And it isn't until he sees the end where he, he sees how he's going to end up and he how people are going to react to his death and the death of Tiny Tim, 
you know, all of that comes to, to play of he's like, he wants another chance. You know, these are not the way things are, are meant to be. They're a version of what could be. Speaking of things that are in different versions that aren't in others, there's a couple things I didn't remember from the story. One is, and I, I can't find it in my notes now, but I, he's looking out the window with one of the spirits and there's a woman on the street and there are what other spirits swarming around yes. her? What, what is that? That's other spirits like Marley. You know, Marley says he's supposed to walk the earth, right? And he can't help people. He lived here on earth when he could have helped. And so now as his penance, as his judgment, he now has to walk the earth and watch people suffer. And now he wants to help, but he can't. So all of that are like other spirits who like they want to help but they can't. That's part of their their judgment. That's part of their suffering. Is that unique to this, or am I just forgetting it from other stories? You get that in other versions. Okay. It is, it's portrayed differently in, in other versions. This, it is kind of funny, though. The actor who plays Bob Cratchit, Mervyn Johns, actually is seen in that in that particular scene as one of the spirits who are lamenting that they can't help, which makes no sense. And there's no explanation as to why he appears in that scene or if he's even intended to be Bob Cratchit, which doesn't make sense because Bob Cratchit isn't dead. It, it could have been that they just used him and didn't think that anyone would recognize that that's actually Cratchit. It's not intended, I don't think, to be Cratchit, but it is weird. If you catch it, then you focus in on that every time you see that. It's like, yeah, there's Bob floating around. It's not supposed to be there. I also don't remember the scene that at the end and with Ghost of Christmas yet to come where their uh, housekeeper, they're going through his belongings that they've taken from his house after he died. That Is pops that up in most versions. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. There you go. Now, what you don't always see is the interaction between the housekeeper, and Mrs. Dilber and Scrooge. Kathleen Harrison, she's billed second in this over everyone else. And I know that they mentioned that over there at House of Frankenstein. And I agree with what they said is that Kathleen Harris was well-known. She was a well-accomplished actress. She made a career out of playing that type of character. It seems a bit odd to us now, but at the time, because she was so well-established, they must've used her name as marketing. Saying, well, people are gonna recognize this name. Let's put it second build. Certainly Mervyn Johns, who plays Bob Cratchit, has a bigger role than she does. You do see more of the housekeeper, obviously, in this version. And plus, she's so wonderful in that role, you know, kind of just quirky. And when she goes running down the, the stairs and puts her apron over her face as that, you know, she starts running and, and Alistair Sim does a little thing with his hair, poops it up on the side. She thinks he's gone crazy. And then the realization when she gets the money from him. She mentions it several times. You know, if it's in keeping with the situation, I don't know that she makes me laugh. Makes me think of, oh, what's the actress in Night of Frankenstein? Oh yeah. Yeah. She's kind of like that, but not as annoying. She has funny lines and, and her performance is really good. I think, you know, Mervyn Johns plays Bob Cratchit. Hermione Bradley plays Mrs. Cratchit. And they're pretty comparable to other versions. I mean, sometimes Cratchit comes across as a little portly in some versions, which you're kind of like, he wouldn't think that he would be 
heavier set because they're supposed to be so poor. Ages of the kids fluctuate in different versions. Their portrayals in this are, are pretty consistent for the most part. Tiny Tim, Glenn Dearman, is actually a little older than, a little taller than most Tiny Tims. He's usually younger. I think he does good as Tiny Tim, but I agree as if there was anything that they could have changed is maybe make him a little bit younger or shorter in the very least. He doesn't come across quite as frail as other Tiny Tims do. He's got some interesting hammer horror cred. He was in the four-sided triangle in 1953. He died rather tragically. He died in 1997 at the age of 57. He fell down a flight of stairs. Oh my. You know, as we go through the, you know, I always go like look for when, you know, actors died or whatever. And sometimes you get a long list of early deaths. His was the only one that was early. Most of the others in this film, uh, for example, Kathleen Harrison, she lived to the ripe old age of 103, died in 1995. <laughs> That's the only tragedy that I was able to pick up. And you know what? Let's just get out of the way. Shocking as it may seem, I could not come up with any Doctor Who connections. <laughs> A British oh, how I'd love to pull one out of my pocket. But, I, you know, and if I, I will lay the challenge down, if there is one, listeners know, hey, let, let me know, let us know on Facebook, because I looked and I couldn't find it. We should also mention The Undertaker, Ernest Thesiger, not a huge role, but well known for playing Dr. Praetorius in Bride of Frankenstein. Every time he pops up on screen in this one, I hear Dr. Praetorius coming out. I did not realize that's who that was. Yes. Now that you say it, I definitely see it. Oh, very distinct look. I can't believe yeah. I didn't put that together. 16 years later. So, I mean, he had a few more wrinkles on his face, but still had the same look. Yeah. Huh. And the same way of acting. The, the speech must just be in his performance. I don't think I've seen him in anything else besides these two films that I can think of. And small role... But Patrick McNee played young Jacob Marley. Uh, I think he's only in one, maybe two scenes. Interestingly, when I saw this film in 89, was actually they were playing the colorized version, and Patrick McNee was the host. He had host segments throughout the, the entire movie, and that aired on television until the early 90s. They added a black and white version the following year and kind of switched eventually to black and white when colorized versions fell out of fashion. And when the movie first came out on DVD quite a few years ago now, they included the opening and closing segments. But if you look on YouTube, you can actually find all the segments. He's sitting in front of a fireplace and actually mentions at one point that his brief involvement in the movie, which is why they got him to do it. Because by that point, I think most of the rest of the cast had passed or were quite a bit older. Of course, Patrick McNee, John Steed from the Avengers, and so many other roles that people are familiar with him. One thing I remember from the previous versions is really the spectacle of it all. It, the ghosts, the, oh, what I would call special effects. I don't know if that's really, that's what's in my head. I must say there's not much very spectacular in that area in this version. And I know it's 51, but I don't know. I was expecting a little more polish on the special effects. If you watch the 35 version, then you appreciate these special oh, effects. Oh, yeah. Okay. In the 35 version, you just don't even see Marley. You know, you hear his voice, 
and they say, you're the only one who can see me. Well, that's convenient. And the ghost of Christmas past is kind of like just a glowing light, which is probably more faithful to the book. But yeah, I, I agree that, I mean, there's, there's, there's not a lot in this film. In fact, if you pay close attention at one point, you can actually see the face of the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Oh, I think he's got what, like a black shroud on. And there's one scene where I think he's looking at a window or something and the camera pans. There's too much light on his face. So you can actually see the making of a face. Uh, there's that was uh, my favorite part of the story, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. I loved it in this, how he would raise his arm, you know, with his cloak draping and then lower it. And then the new scene would be behind there. That was really cool. Pretty consistent, I think, in all the versions that one or another. But I think like, well, I mean, the Jim Carrey animated version makes Marley absolutely terrifying. And the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come is also a lot more creepy because they just kind of crank it up a little bit. They do a whole sequence with a, a carriage, I believe is in the book. I'm not up to that part yet in the book. I've only read portions of A Christmas Carol, never read it before. And I'm enjoying it. And it's actually pretty interesting as I'm reading this book. Most of the lines in this book, they're in the various adaptations. I mean, people have not strayed too far from the uh, the original words of Charles Dickens, which is kind of cool. Obviously, you have to enhance it, but lots of the key words are present. One famous missing line in this movie that pops up in other versions is where Scrooge says, If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. (laughs) If they would have used that, that would have added a little bit of an edge to Scrooge. And that must kind of pointed that out. And it's making me think that they must have intentionally softened Scrooge a little bit. Again, there's a couple of key things they left out that would have put a little bit of a harder edge to him. And I don't know that seemingly is intentional but I don't know what their intentions were behind it. If, if that was their intent was to kind of soften the image of Scrooge a little bit. I don't think you've talked yet about the actor who played Alice, his fiance, I guess. Did you mention her? I haven't, you know, and I don't have anything on her. Do you have something on her? No, other than I think the cast is stellar. I thought she was the one weak link. I did not think she was very good in it. Yeah, Alice is portrayed differently in the films. I mean, sometimes she's a little stronger, sometimes not. Sometimes you see her as having married with kids. Sometimes she's working with the poor. That does get tweaked in in various versions. And and I don't know the actress who plays her in the 99 version. I I like that portrayal. It's not too strong, not too weak. It's just kind of like it's a good performance. Depending on the the version, I mean, sometimes she's just not even really that big of a part. I mean, in the 99 version, we see a little bit more of her, actually, than we do here. Her role at the Fezziwigs is they kind of enhance the party sequence in that version a little bit more. Yeah, the actress who plays that, and that, again, I don't remember her name, but she's better than the actress here. I'd, I'd agree. One of the weaker performance. The actress who played Fan... Not a huge role, but uh, actress Carol Marsh, she's known for playing Lucy in Horror of Dracula in 58, seven years later. So another horror connection in a roundabout kind of way. 
What is your overall impression of the movie? Obviously, I love it. If no one's figured that out, you're not <laughs> listening to the right show. What did you think of it? And, and how many other versions of Scrooge? I mean, you've said you've seen other versions. Yeah, I don't know. I cannot, you know, isolate them. I, I remember the musical one and probably bits and pieces of different ones, but I couldn't identify them. I like this a lot. I'm really glad I watched it. It was good to see it. it. You have the tradition of watching it every year. And I love that you have that tradition and watching this made me think of that as well as just the movie and how, what a nice thing that is. There were things I really, really liked about it. It was good. I mean, it's hard to say maybe if I were familiar with the other versions, but it's kind of hard to say, oh, I don't like A Christmas Carol. I'll issue a challenge. If you get a chance to, over the remainder of this Christmas season, take a look at either or maybe both versions from the same time period. So you can kind of compare productions and stuff. Watch the 35 version with Seymour Hicks. It's about 80 minutes long. Don't watch the one that's an hour because it has even more stuff got out of it. There's a version that runs about seven or about 80 minutes. It's public domain. You can find that easy. And then set your DVR to record it, uh, the 38 version on TCM. They'll be playing it a lot in the next week. And then compare this version to those versions. And I think it's a good comparison because it's within a 15-year time period. Because following this, looking out like another 15 years past this version, all we got were TV adaptations, which are 25-minute abbreviated versions a musical version with Basil Rathbone, I think. And then you get into like the animated versions, right? Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol and stuff like, which is fun. Check those two films out if you get a chance. The Christmas Carol from MGM is 70 minutes long, if I remember correctly. And it's got some big differences in it, especially the ending, which to me is, is another reason why it, it uh, misses a little bit for me. I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on, on those two versions. The 35 version to me feels even kind of gr- grimier and darker, hmm. whereas the MGM version is what you'd expect an MGM polished film to be. It's a little too polished. This film falls kind of right in the middle and it is a good feel for this time period. You mentioned different versions inside versions for this movie, the 1951 Christmas Carol. What is your recommendation for method of watching? Is there a particular DVD version or Blu-ray version? And I'll just preface it by saying I watched it on Amazon Prime and I thought it was an excellent print, black and white, of course, but the blacks were just so black and it was just a rich picture. I can tell you that. Beautiful. I'm sad to say I don't think this is going to be on TV at all this year. Turner Classic is, has played it in years past, but it's not an annual thing that they do. FXM, Fox Movie Channel, has done it in some years past. Not this year, to the best of my knowledge, unless they're going to squeeze it in the last minute on their schedule. This is a case where having physical media comes in handy because it's not playing on any network. But the Amazon Prime version is comparable to the 2011 Blu-ray. If you have this on DVD or VHS, know that the Blu-rays are a great improvement. And what you saw on Amazon Prime is that wonderful picture, you know, picture clarity. You don't get that in 
the DVD or, or VHS versions, you get a muddier version. I would avoid any version on YouTube. I took a look and it's either the wrong aspect ratio, the older pre-Blu-ray print, colorized segments are muted for copyright purposes. Avoid YouTube altogether. If you have Amazon Prime, you have to watch, I think, with a couple of ads that pop up. Yeah, that's uh, funny. It said that. It warned me at the beginning because it's actually through IMDb, but I never had an ad. That'd be the best way to go. The The 2009 Blu-ray I have has problems with it. There visually looks great. The audio is not a great mix. You've got to go with the mono version and it's not perfect. The stereo version at times gets really distracting. There's a reverb, there's an echo that pops up. They did it again in 2010 and they fixed the mix a little bit. It's not perfect, but they did fix it a little bit and apparently did even better on the 2011 version. The picture apparently is a little bit better by the time you get to 2011 and they even fixed, there's a sequence where Fan walks through the older Ebenezer. Yeah. There's like a, a square image when they did that superimposed. If you watch like the 2009 Blu-ray, it's still there. Mm. It was always there. It's part of the print. But they use digital processing, obviously, to take that box away for the most part and fix that sequence by the time you get to 2011. 2011, 60th anniversary Blu-ray or Amazon Prime is the way to go. But unfortunately, it's not going to be on TV. And that's kind of the case. I was looking at a lot of other Christmas classics. Holiday Inn, which is a Christmas classic, is not on television at all this year. It is problematic. There is a blackface routine, and it's hard to edit that out because some key things are revealed when that sequence happens. So it's not surprising that this year they finally just removed it. Sadly, that's probably not going to pop up on TV again anytime soon, even though it's a wonderful film. And it's the film that introduced us to White Christmas. Speaking of which, White Christmas, I think, got two showings on AMC this year, one of which was 2.30 in the morning. Miracle on 34th Street, not going to be on any network this year. You have to have Disney+. Plus. That's the only way to see it. Bishop's Wife, I think, is getting like one airing. So anyway, a lot of these classics are not getting a fair shake this year. And Turner Classic has really kind of kept back on their Christmas offerings this year. And sadly, this version, which is considered by many to be one of the best, you're going to have to either have that physical media or Amazon Prime if you want to see the best copy of it. Do you have anything else you want to say about it? I don't. I kind of like it a little. <laughs> I mean, <it's, laughs> I don't know uh, if you express that clearly enough. Uh, I also love a lot of other versions. If you want to listen to uh, a great audio version, I'll be throwing up the link next week on my blog. I'm doing a lot of uh, Christmas movie old-time radio adaptations on my OTR Wednesday segment over at caseycinevile.com. Hearing Lionel Barrymore do Scrooge is a must. Uh, I would challenge you as well to take a listen to that. And I wish we would have been able to see him as Scrooge. That would have been interesting. He skipped it in 1939, or 1938, rather. Orson Welles did that on his Campbell Playhouse with his Mercury Theater players. But he plays Scrooge that year. 
The following year, Orson Welles did it again with Lionel Barrymore. So that 39 version is the one to listen to. Lionel Barrymore played it on a lot of other shows, but that's the definitive hour-long adaptation. And that gives you an idea of what we could have had, had his health been better. That'll be on my blog next week. Great. Look forward to that. This week, by the time you're listening to this. (laughs) If I may, since it's the holiday season, I would like to express a sincere sentiment. We all know that 2020 was, by all accounts, a horrible year. And we know that January 1st is not going to magically change. However, I think most people are heading into it with at least optimism and hope that it will change sometime during 2021. But I want to say as lousy as 2020 was... Doing this podcast with you has been a fantastic thing. It's been a ray of light through all of that. It means a lot to me. I appreciate every listener, and I hope that everyone just really appreciates the good things that we do have and has a a very happy holiday. I will simply say um, that I agree wholeheartedly. You know, at the start of the year, you and I, we're kind of recording episodes in advance because we were separated by about six and a half, seven hours distance. We thought that's the way it was going to be for the rest of the year. And then we uh, got a little pandemic that threw things sideways, but Zoom has been a blessing and has allowed you and I to stay in contact with each other and see each other and communicate and do the podcast. And I agree. I love doing the podcast every month. I Love hearing from new uh, listeners who continue to join. We've had some new club members even in in the last couple of weeks since our last recording, and we'll mention them on our next episode. Just want to say thank you to all the listeners, and thank you to my my partner in crime. We've got some fun stuff planned. We don't want to date this episode because it's going to become a holiday classic and people are going to pull it out and listen every year. So let's not put a timestamp on it. (laughs) You won't. Well, I I guess I just did, though. So (laughs) Yes, you did. I will just say we got some fun stuff planned for 2021. Cooking behind the scenes. So stay safe. Take care, everyone. I think you and I should rehearse the Bing Crosby, David Bowie duet and do it for our listeners. Uh, so who's going to be who? <laughs> I, I would like to, well, it fits you better to be Bing, but I, I like his part. Well, I don't know. That's, that's a tough one. They're both great. That, that's, that is a tough one. Yeah. We could do that. We could maybe add, yeah, we'll, we'll do this as a, uh, as a post Christmas or last minute gift. <laughs> you know, what we ought to do is say, if we get so many people to go on and, and like us on Apple podcasts, we will not do the duet. That might be more motivating. That will probably, yes, motivate people. It'll motivate me. I'll go like us on. (laughs) Richard, happy holidays to you and Carla and your family and to everyone that's listening. Oh, I get to say that cliched little statement. See you next year. We will see you in 2021. When a cold wind blows, it chills you, chills you to the bone. But there's nothing in nature.
picture that freezes your heart like years of being alone. It paints you with indifference like a lady paints with rouge. And the worst of the worst, the most hated and cursed, is the one that we call Scrooge. Yeah. Unkind as any, and the wrath of many. This is Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, there goes Mr. Humbug. There goes Mr. Grim. If they gave a prize for being 